Well, we are continuing in our series, uh, How to Get Through What You're Going Through. We've been talking about uh, what to do with, you know, when problems come, crisis in life, uh, some unforeseen things, foreseen things. How do we make it through? What do we need to do? And we've been looking at different examples uh, through Scripture. And this morning we're going to look at a story in just a couple minutes from uh, the Gospel of Mark. But before we do that, uh, my loving wife, who, uh, when she offers constructive criticism, it really is constructive and it really is gentle and loving. And so this morning uh, she came up to me at home and she said, I just want to encourage you to be careful not to repeat yourself your sermon. She said, you've been repeating yourself lately. And so I don't know if it's my back pain. I don't know if it's my medication, but uh, I just want to apologize uh, for repeating myself. I had no idea uh, that I do that. So please forgive me for that. And before we get started, uh, I just want to share something. Valerie came up to me this morning at home and she told me (laughs) that, that apparently, oh, okay, maybe she's right. Uh, Seriously, well, that was serious. The first part was serious, so I do apologize. Uh, Isn't it great to have somebody that loves you enough to let you know when you're doing something that if you knew about it, you wouldn't want to be doing it? And and there's two ways of letting you know. There's the way Valerie did, or there's the way, you know, we tend to do, which is, you need to stop, or you need to do, oh, my gosh. When we start, you know, slamming somebody, telling them what what they need to do, even if it's 100% true, it's very unlikely to bring about any change whatsoever. So if you want to know how to uh, uh, be a godly woman, hang out with my wife. She is just unbelievable. I'm so blessed. So blessed. So uh, this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at it. It's pretty much a familiar story, but I, I want us to, to see all the possible different perspectives of it. And then uh, come to kind of grab hold of what I believe is is the the right biblical uh, perspective of a story of Jesus and some of his followers uh, in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And you know I haven't had the the honor of being there, but there's a you know more modern day picture of the Sea of Galilee. It's it's mentioned a lot uh, in the Bible. The Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide. It's 64 square miles. It's up in northeast Israel. It's in what they call the Jordan Rift Valley. And so there's uh, earthquakes in in that part of the world. And Jesus, as we'll see in a few minutes, he he recruited four of his apostles from the shore of Lake Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. That's where he found four of the guys. This is the area that they believe Jesus preached, probably his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is the water that when you read about Jesus walking uh, on the water, this is where that happened. Uh, this is where the disciples, when Jesus told them where to throw their nets, and they did, and they caught lots and lots of fish. It was in this area that Jesus uh, fed 5,000 people one day. And so you, you read in the scripture a lot about the Sea of Galilee, uh, a lot of boat, a lot of fishing action. And it's interesting, back, I think it was 1989, they actually found this uh, remnant of a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And it's on a metal, you know, display rack in a museum now, but the wooden part that you see there 
is what was left of a boat that they believe is from the first century. So, so there's, no one's claiming that, you know, Jesus rode in this boat. Uh, I know when we were in Italy, they said that if, if every piece of wood that was attributed to be part of the cross of Christ, if you go in the different uh, cathedrals and the museums around Europe and you find little splinters and they'll say, this piece of wood was from the cross. They said, if you put all those together, it'd be like a thousand crosses. You know, somebody's, somebody's not telling the truth. But, uh, so there's no claim that this boat was the one from our story today. But this is uh, from that era, apparently, first century, and it is the type of boat that would have been common. If you were a fisherman, uh, this was a common type boat. Uh, it's 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. And if it weren't uh, dilapidated, it'd be about four feet high on the side. So just kind of keep that in mind as we uh, look at our story Today, But before we, we uh, get into Mark chapter 4, which is what we're going to look at today, I, I want to take about a, a, a two-minute quick trip through the first three chapters of Mark, just to kind of show some things that led up to what we're going to be looking at today. So I'm not going to put these verses on the screen. These aren't in your outline. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you probably won't even have time to catch up with me, because I just really want to mention just a few things. From, from starting in Mark chapter 1, Jesus... Uh, has been baptized. He's gone through the you know, temptation, 40 days in the wilderness. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew fishing with a net. They were commercial fishermen. And so Jesus said to them, Come, follow me. And they did. Picked up two guys. Uh, verse 19, a little further down the shore, he saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat mending their nets. He called to them too. They immediately left, and they followed him. Verse 21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum, and every Sabbath day he went into the synagogue and taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching. So Jesus is picking up some guys that are going to be his disciples. They're going to be his inner circle, his leadership team, and they're there with him. They're getting to hear him teach. Uh, It says in verse 23, a man possessed by an evil spirit was in the synagogue. He began shouting, why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? I always found it fascinating that demons all know who Jesus is. Demons call him by name. They don't have any question. Demons don't debate. Well, I don't know. It could be, you know, Muhammad. No, demons know Jesus is Jesus. They always have. They always will. And so demons shouted out at Jesus. They're, They're there in church and... And Jesus said, be silent and come out of the man. And the evil spirit screamed and left him. Verse 29, Jesus and disciples left the synagogue, went over to Simon's ha- Simon and Andrew's house. Uh, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. So Jesus just took her by the hand, got her up out of bed, and she went and fixed dinner. Isn't that awesome? That just shows that Jesus, men, us men are a lot like Jesus. We don't care how sick somebody is. We want them to get up out of bed and fix us something to eat, right? Except, except the difference with Jesus is he healed her so she could do that. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, well, forget the fever. He just touched her, helped her out of bed, and she was healed. That evening at sunset, lots of sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. Jesus healed great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases, and he ordered many demons to come out of their victims. Verse 40, man with leprosy came, knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. Jesus touched him, said, be healed. The leprosy disappeared, the man was healed. Over in chapter 2, verse 12, there's a man 
that they brought to him, paralyzed man. Uh, Jesus said, stand up, go on home, you're healed. The man jumped up, took his mat, and went home. Over and over and over in just a short period of the Bible, just just, just catch hold of, of all the things Jesus is doing. Chapter 3, Jesus went into the synagogue again, noticed a man with a deformed hand. He said to the man, reach out your hand. The man reached out his hand. It became normal again. Verse 10, there had been many healings that day. Verse 11, whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, they would fall down in front of him shrieking, you are the son of God. So from the time Jesus calls those first few disciples and says, follow me, they get to experience that over and over and over. They got to hear him preach every Sunday. They got to hear him teach just throughout the week. They got to see him. They got to watch him minister. They got to see him pray for people. They got to see him uh, heal people of leprosy, cast demons out of people, just disease after disease after disease. They got to see miracle after miracle after miracle. That background is what leads up to our scripture today. I want us to look at Mark uh, chapter 4. And we're going to start in, in verse 35. In fact, let's read it. It's only six verses. Let's, let's read this out loud together. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the wave, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they ask each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Short story. If you've never been in church before, it may be the first time you've heard that. If you, like me, grew up in church, you may have read that uh, story uh, dozens of times, hundreds of times. If you grew up in Sunday school or something, you probably colored lots of pictures of Jesus and the boat and the storms and Jesus sleeping. You know, I always kind of like the Jesus sleeping pictures. I, I was looking for a picture of Jesus sleeping, but evidently there were no photographers there. But I did find a great one. I, I'm not going to show it to you this morning, but I found a, a great uh, painting of Jesus laughing. And I mean, just roaring laughing. I just, I, I just thought that was cool. We don't think about Jesus laughing. We don't think about Jesus sleeping. We sure don't think about him sleeping in the middle of this terrible, terrible storm. So what does all that mean? Jesus, he's been preaching. He's tired. There's so many people around. He goes, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Storm comes up. Disciples are freaked out. Jesus tells the storm to shut up. I love the message paraphrase. It actually says Jesus said, pipe down. <laughs> told the storm, pipe down. I like that. So what does this story mean? Well, I, I, I want to read you. And, and the reason this message is, is called Let Jesus Sleep. Several years ago, uh, our daughter, Jennifer, loaned Valerie a book. And it was a book of uh, kind of daily devotions. 
And uh, one of the devotions, one of the day, daily devotions was called Let Jesus Sleep. And, and I tried to find it, you know, I couldn't, couldn't get it. Jennifer hadn't even unpacked it. She thinks she still has it or may have given it away to somebody else. But uh, so, so I don't even remember what that particular story was about. I know it's about this scripture. But just that, that title, Let Jesus Sleep, just has stuck with me ever since I read that story. And so I googled that term, let Jesus sleep. And boy, lots and lots of uh, different sermons online. And, and I want to just read you uh, just excerpts from, from three of them. Uh, this is what one pastor said. He said, don't let Jesus sleep. Wake him up so he can get your boat back on course. Well, that makes sense. Don't let Jesus sleep. Wake him up so he can get your life, so he can get you headed back in the right direction. Kind of makes sense. Another pastor said the point of this message was, we must, this is an exact quote, we must learn to live as though he was not here. But the whole goal of Christianity is to recognize that Jesus wants us to be able to live as if he wasn't there. Not to be so dependent upon him that we'd have to wake him up. Let him sleep and just learn to live in our own strength. Live our own lives. I try not to be real critical, especially of other churches and other things. But I just slap that guy. If I met that guy, I just slap him. How stupid is that? The point of Jesus is so that we, this scripture is so we can learn to just live without him. We can't live. The whole point of Christianity is we can't live without him. We need him, not just a little. We need all of him. Uh, another, and this, this wasn't a sermon, but it was from a, a Christian writer. And, and he said, oftentimes in our lives we have storms, those troubles and worries. But there Jesus still sleeping inside of us. And the storm won't calm down. With little faith, nothing much we can do. But there was Jesus still sleeping. All we need is just wake him up inside of us and seek him for help. He is the calm of the storm in our life. Please, Christian, don't let Jesus sleep. He's there to help us. Recognize Jesus and he will help us. Let him. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Wake him up. He's sleeping. Ah, let him sleep. We don't need him anyway. We can do this on our own. I, I just read those and I thought... No, 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 no. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. And, and so I want us to, to look now. We're just going to go through these verses kind of one at a time and, and see what, what I believe. The reason why this story is in God's word, it's a living word that still applies to us today. How can this story help us get through the things that we're going through Get through the storms that are going to come. How can this help us apply God's truth, apply our faith in Christ to our daily lives today? So let's go back through these verses. Let's start in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Notice the word let's. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm going over to the other side of the lake. You guys hang out here. I just need a break. I need some quiet time, just some time alone with, with the Father. You guys stay here. I'm going over there. He didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, why don't you go over there and I'll catch up with you later. He didn't say that. 
He said, let's go over. Let us go together. Together. That meant the entire group. That was his plan. That was his mission. And they could have and should have rested in that. When the storm came, they should have said, okay, we don't like the storm, but this is Jesus' plan. He's with us. He's going with us. We're going to make it to the other side because that's Jesus' mission. And Jesus fulfills his mission. See, when we read something in God's word, we can rest assured it's true. When we read one of God's promises, we can rest assured it's true. God is not a liar. He always keeps his promises. His word is 100% true, 100% reliable. Even when we can't see it. Even when it doesn't seem like it. How many of you, you've ever been in a crisis... And you know one of God's promises or lots of God's promises, but man, you're in the middle of a crisis and you start wondering, is that promise really true? Is God's word really true? It sure feels like he's left us. I know he said he would never leave us. I know he said he'd never abandon us. He said he'd never forsake us, but it sure seems like it. Have you ever felt that way? I, I think we all have. I think we all have, but we can rest assured God's word is true even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Jesus said, let's go over. When Jesus says, let's do something, not you do something, let's do something, it's going to happen. When Jesus, when God instituted a plan to save us, to send his son to save us, to die, to pay for our sins, to purchase our salvation. When he sent his son on that mission, that mission was going to be accomplished. One out of the 12 guys that were supposed to be most intimately involved may have bailed out. That mission was still going to be accomplished. The guys who were supposed to be the, the key players might have lost faith. Peter might have denied him three times in the last day. All kinds of stuff might have happened. But that mission was going to be accomplished. Why? Because it was God's mission. God's mission, he, he loves to incorporate us in fulfilling his mission. He loves to use us. He loves to partner with us. He loves the, for the body of Christ to be used to fulfill his mission. But... If you and I say, eh, I'm not in anymore, God's mission is still going to be fulfilled because it's, he's God. He's God, and nothing can deter him. So Jesus said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. It meant they were going to get to the other side of the lake. It meant they weren't going down in the middle of the lake. It meant they weren't going to die in the lake because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. That meant we're going to get to the other side. Look at verse 36. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. If this boat that they were in really was like the, the picture of the boat we looked at just a minute ago, the sides aren't very high. It wouldn't take much water. If you've ever been out... You know, was it Friday? We were coming across the O'Galley Causeway. Oh, my gosh, was the river rough. I mean, it was rough. They've just along the north bank of the 
uh, O'Galley Causeway, they've, they've just reinforced it. They've just gone and put in a lot more, I don't know, sandbags or blocks or what they used all along there. And boy, they got it just in time because Friday, water was coming way up over that. I mean, it was, it was really, really rough. If you were in a boat in the Indian River, and it's not a big river, you can walk across most of it. But if you've ever been on a boat there and the waves just get to be a couple feet, it feels scary. It feels in. The lower the sides of the boat, the scarier it is. And so if that boat really did look like that one that we saw a picture of, that'd be scary. It wouldn't take much of a storm to start being scary. And this was a fierce storm. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. I'm pretty sure they didn't have any kind of pumps to start pumping the water out with. If they did, it was, you know, pump pump it wasn't it wasn't uh, anything electric it wasn't you know and, and so the water is coming in and not just coming in it began to fill with water here's a fact of life life has storms life has fierce storms every one of us has either gone through fierce storms we're going through fierce storms right now or we're going to go through fierce storms in the future we're going to life has fierce storms for some reason lots of christians think we're either exempt from storms well because i put my faith in god because i'm following jesus because i'm serving jesus shouldn't be any storms in my life i don't know where we get that You can't read the Bible. You can't read the story of Jesus and think there's no storms. His whole life was a storm. You can't read about any of his followers and think, oh, there should be no storms. It was every one of them. Crisis, 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 trouble, trouble, tragedy, difficulty, struggle, challenges, all kinds of stuff was going on. But for some reason, a lot of Christians think we should be exempt from storms. Or if we face storms, they should just be little problems you know just little little trials little things no fierce storm this was a fierce storm being a christian doesn't mean we won't face storms it doesn't mean we won't face fierce storms but it what it does mean and it meant the same thing for these guys that it means for us what it does mean is no matter how fierce the storm jesus is right there with us it was a fierce storm i'm sure it was scary i'm sure the water coming over the first time was scary but when the boat began to fill up with water i'm sure it was very scary but jesus was right there in the middle of the storm with them and jesus when we when we have received him as our savior when we've been adopted into his family he is there with us through every storm. No matter how big, no matter how scary, no matter how bad of a storm, Jesus is right there with us. Being a Christian doesn't mean no storms. It means we go through the storm with Christ himself with us. He's in our boat. 24-7. Look at verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Notice the words, don't you care. They thought Jesus didn't care about them because he wasn't worried about them. He wasn't worried about the circumstances and they thought he didn't care. You ever felt like that? 
You ever thought God didn't care? Because it sure doesn't seem like he is worried about what you're going through. You're worried about what you're going through. It doesn't seem like God's worried. It doesn't seem like he's concerned at all. You ever wondered if God, does he not care anymore? Maybe I just don't deserve for him to care. Maybe I've done some things that cause him to not want to care. You ever feel that way? Or maybe you think, man, I've been trying to live for him with everything I've got. And it seems like he is just, you know, absent without leave. Where is he? They thought he didn't care. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? See, when the storms of life come and the water gets higher and higher and everything seems hopeless, it's easy to think God doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem concerned at all. But Jesus cared about each of them. Not only did he create them, we already saw, he chose them, he handpicked them. He said, you, and you. He didn't say to everybody who was fishing, hey, come follow me. He said, you, come follow me. You, come follow me. You, come follow me. You, come follow me. He handpicked these guys. You think he didn't care about them? He chose them to be part of his 12 men that he was going to pour his life into. Of course he cared about them. Of course he cared about them. They thought he didn't care because he wasn't worried. Jesus wasn't worried because he was in control even while he was asleep. That's why we can let Jesus sleep. They could have let Jesus sleep. They wouldn't have drowned. They could have let Jesus sleep. They weren't going to die in the lake. Why? Because he was in control even while he was sleeping. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Notice a great calm. Isn't that what we really all are searching for in life? It, we, we may not describe it that way. That may not be what we put on a survey. But aren't we really just looking for a great calm? Aren't we just looking for peace in life? We want to have peace with our spouse. We want to have peace with our kids. We want to have peace with our family. You know, it's tragic that coming into this holiday season, Thanksgiving and then Christmas. What should Thanksgiving be? A time of thankfulness. A time of great appreciation. Boy, we're just so thankful for all that God has done, not just for our country, but for us. And just what a wonderful time. And then Christmas, we get to celebrate the birth of Christ, and we get to do it with our, with our family. We get to do it with our kids and grandkids, if you've got them. And just what a wonderful season of life. What a wonderful time on the calendar year. I just love it. But I still remember being part of a church years ago where the most common prayer requests during November and December were, please pray for us. We're going to have to be with our family for Christmas. Our family's coming or we're going up north to be with our family. Please pray for us. We're going to be with our family on Christmas. Oh, bless your hearts. And I know some of you deal with that stuff here. And lots of people do, but I know some of you do. Oh, my gosh. How, how sad. How sad that what should be such a special time should be such a special time. It's so hard. You know what people want at Christmas? A great calm. They just want a calm Christmas. They don't want to be freaked out in the stores with the long lines shopping. They don't want to be freaked out over whether Johnny likes the toy or not. They don't want to be freaked out whether their gift is enough for somebody or if they're offended because they didn't get more. They, we just want a great calm. We just want peace. 
We want to have peace and quiet. Not anything boring, but peace and quiet. That's what they wanted. The disciples weren't calm because of their circumstances. Jesus was calm despite the circumstances. But isn't it interesting, if the disciples had kept their eyes on Jesus, they could have been calm despite the circumstances. They could have looked and said, okay, he's in charge, he's not worried, then I guess I don't need to be worried. Valerie and I, 13 years ago, got to... uh, stay on a little island in the Bahamas and rented this house for a week. And it was an old house built in the 1800s. And it was little, and it was wood, and there was nothing fancy at all about it. And that entire week, those nor'easters, like 40-mile-an-hour winds, and we're on a little island out in the middle of the ocean, 40-mile-an-hour winds all week long. And I mean it howled through that little old wood house. It howled. And we're like, is this house going to... Make it, you know, we just kind of wanted calm. We wanted the wind to die down. We wanted, this is kind of scary. And then Valerie said it hit her. She goes, you know, this house was built when Abraham Lincoln was president. And it's still here. It's still here. I asked Larry last night. God bless him. You want to see a sermon illustration in action. And I'm not trying to promote a bunch of good stuff for me. But, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about somebody in crisis, somebody has a problem. Don't say, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. Go help them. Go help them. And Larry said, hey, I'm there for you. Valerie said, here's what we need. we got light bulbs we can't reach. One of them, I think Brent's tried to get on an eight-foot ladder. Audra's tried to get on Audra tried to get on top of Brent on an eight-foot ladder. <laughs> Our son-in-law, who's 6'4", he said, I can do it. I can reach anything. He's on top of the ladder. Nobody can get this. I've broken two of the things you buy at Home Depot, you know, the poles with the suction cup. I've broken two of those. Nobody could do it. Larry's got a 12-foot ladder. He is a professional licensed general contractor, so his services do come at a fee for the rest of you. But, but for us, he chose to be a blessing and know that uh, we couldn't do that. And he came and replaced our light bulbs in our ceiling last night. And, and that was such a huge, huge blessing. Here's the cool thing. I have absolutely no idea what that has to do. Yes, sir. <laughs> But Larry feels really good right now, and and so do we. We got bulbs. It was a sermon illustration. That's what it was. If, If the disciples had kept their eyes on Jesus, they would have seen Jesus isn't worried. Jesus isn't worried. I was so impressed with Bob Rapole. Bob, you know, here last Sunday, going in for a catheterization, he goes, I'm not worried about it. Do the catheterization. I'm sitting with Kathy out in the waiting room. The doctor comes out and says, yeah, one main artery, 100% blocked. Second main artery, 100% blocked. Third artery, 89% blocked. Needs open heart surgery. I'd do it today or tomorrow if the surgeons are available. And Kathy, who's a little bit, understandably, nervous, her husband of 46 years, was amazingly calm amazingly calm. And when they let us go in to see Bob in recovery, we go in and he says to Kathy, he's worried about Kathy, Kathy's worried about him. He goes, did they tell you? Kathy said, yeah. He goes, need open heart surgery. Kathy said, yeah. He goes, I'm going to just get it done. I'm okay. And to talk to him and his faith, he, he, he truly had his eyes not on surgery, 
not on the pain he was going to go through, not on the risk of living or dying. He truly had his eyes, and he talked about, you know, I'm in God's hand. I'm going to be okay. God's going to be with me. And he had such peace after just hearing, oh, sorry, there isn't one little blockage, and we couldn't just put in a stent. No, you've got to have open heart surgery, and you need it now. He was so calm, and it was so cool to see somebody keeping their eyes on God who wasn't freaking out at the report from the doctor <coughs> instead of keeping his eyes on the circumstances. Just to see that living illustration. If the disciples had kept their eyes on Jesus, they could have been calm despite the circumstances. If you and I, when the storms come, keep our eyes on Jesus despite the circumstances, we can have a great calm too. Look at verse 40. He asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus wasn't upset that they woke him up. He didn't say, why in the world? Guys, I needed a nap. I've told you don't wake me up when I'm napping. I need my sleep. He didn't say any of that. He wasn't mad that they woke him up from his nap. He didn't, wasn't mad that he missed some sleep. He was mad that even though these guys had seen him week after week teaching the truth of God, even though they had seen him heal lepers and people who had been paralyzed for life, and people with every kind of disease, even though they saw him speak to demons and demons were cast out of people, even though they saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle, they still didn't have any faith. They said, why'd you wake me up? You guys still don't have any faith. See, true faith isn't intellectual. It's practical. True faith isn't saying, here's what I believe. True faith is what comes out. It's when the rubber meets the road. True faith. True faith is what do we really do when, when times are hard. It's easy to talk spiritual things when life is good. It's easy to talk about how great God is and how much you love him. And it's easy to talk about faith when things are good. But it's when things aren't good. It's when the test results aren't good. It's when, like Debbie, you've got to quit your job because you've got to go get surgery. You can't put it off till next summer. It's, it's when you deal with those kind of things. That's when faith really reveals itself. That's when it kind of goes under the test and we see, do we really have faith or not? And Jesus was trying to explain to them that faith and fear don't mix. He says, if you've got fear, they had lots of fear, they didn't have much faith. If they had lots of faith, they wouldn't have much fear. It's kind of a scale. It's probably like 100% of, of total. If you've got 90% fear, you only got 10% faith. But if you've got 90% faith, only 10% fear. And, and, and it can go up and down. It can go up and down based on circumstances. But the goal is to have stronger and stronger faith. And the stronger our faith is, the less fear that we have. You know, incredible stories throughout time of people that have stood in the face of death, knowing that because of their faith, they could be killed. And yet they stand strong. They're not afraid. Why weren't you afraid? Because they have a lot of faith. I wish I could be brave. It has nothing to do with being brave. Nothing to do with being brave. It has everything to do with faith. I don't have to try to be brave. I have to try to grow in my faith. 
I have to trust God and really believe that he really is in the boat with me. He really is in charge. True faith is tangible. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we act. And here's the biggie. It changes the way we react. It changes the way we react to news that we didn't want to hear. It changes the way we react to the storms that come up. They probably thought, oh good, we're going to go sailing. This will be fun. We'll catch some fish on the way over. We'll have a little sushi on the boat. This is going to be great. They're on the boat. Jesus is going to take a nap. They're like, oh, let's just chill out too. Jimmy Buffett music's playing. I mean, these guys are, these guys are looking forward to this. And then the storm comes. The way we react shows whether we've got strong faith or not. Look at verse 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Isn't that interesting? First they were terrified at the storms. Now they're terrified at Jesus. Jesus is a terrifying guy. He really was. We like, we, we like the pictures of him with the little babies and the little lambs running around. He's so cute. Jesus was a terrifying guy. Angels are terrifying. That's why all through the Bible you see people going, don't be afraid. Why do they say don't be afraid? Because everybody's afraid. They were terrifying. These guys were terrified by Jesus because he literally spoke to the wind and the wind stopped. He literally spoke to the waves and the waves stopped. And then notice their question, who is this man? Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Their question explains everything. The fact that they had to say, who is this man? And they didn't get it. Now, they left everything they had to follow this guy. So I'm not, I'm not putting these guys down. But, but for them to have to say, who is this man, means they didn't get it yet. They, they were just still on the beginning of this journey of following him. And, 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 and it is a journey for us, too. The longer we follow Christ, the more our faith should grow, the better we should get to know him. But their question explains everything. Even though they were his disciples, even though they'd seen him do miracles, they still didn't understand who he was, and so they were scared to death of the circumstances, even though Jesus was right there with them the whole time. So here's what Jesus, let Jesus sleep means and doesn't mean. When I suggest to you today that we should let Jesus sleep, in the middle of the storms of life, when I say let Jesus sleep, I don't mean don't talk to him. I don't mean don't turn to him. I don't mean don't pray to him, don't cry out to him. Of course, of course. But what I mean is he's always in control. He's always in control. He's always in control. Keep your eyes on him. Have you ever been in a circumstance with somebody, a situation, and maybe you weren't familiar with it, but somebody you knew was? Maybe, maybe you know, a tour guide, or maybe if you're with a family member, and you've never been to this place before, but they've been there. And so you kind of look to them, because they know what's going on. And so you look to them, and if they don't seem worried, you're not worried. If they don't seem lost, you think, oh, we must not be lost. I think they know where they're going. I'm, I'm with them. I think, that, I think they know where they're going. We're going with Jesus. We're going with Jesus, just the same as the disciples in the boat were part of his mission with him saying, let's go to the other side. And he was with them and they were going with him and they could have put all of their focus on him, all of their trust on him. And they wouldn't have had to worry about the storms. It's the same thing for us. We're going with Jesus from the moment you receive him as your savior. The moment you become a Christ follower, you're going with Jesus. He's got a mission for you. He's got a mission for each of us. 
we're going with him. And as long as we're following him, as long as we're not going off on our own way and doing our own thing, as long as we're following him, we can trust him to be there with us. We can trust that he's going to... It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. The storms come. Bad storms come. They can cause damage. But he will be right there with us. We don't ever have to freak out because he's not. He's not freaking out. I still remember Pat Mahoney. He's a Christian activist up in Washington. We've been friends for years. And I still remember Pat going, whatever the latest you know, political problem for Christians was at the time, whatever the latest bad news from the Supreme Court was, whatever the latest bad election result was, you know, this is probably 20 years ago or more. I still remember Pat saying, God is not sitting on the throne of heaven going, what am I going to do? Look who just got elected. What am I going to do? Look what the Supreme Court in America just did. God's not pulling out his hair. He's in control. He's in charge. He cares about us. We don't have to say, doesn't he care? Of course he cares. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through storms. But he's going to be right there with you, right there with me, right there with us, right there. I want us to pray right now. And some of you, I know the storms you're going through. Others, I don't. But I know there'll be more storms in the future. And I don't know about you, but I, I I want to... Make a decision today to say, God, I want to keep my eyes on you. I don't want to freak out when the storms come. If you're not freaked out, I don't want to freak out. God, I don't want to be afraid. I want to have more faith. Would you just talk to God right now? Maybe it's a very specific issue that you've been afraid about. Very specific storm. The waves have gotten so high, you don't know if you can breathe anymore. The water's up to your chin. But you just ask God right now. Say, God, I don't want to be afraid. I'm scared to death, but I don't want to be. I'd rather be filled with faith than fear. God, would you strengthen my faith? Right now, God, would you strengthen my faith? Right now, God, would you begin building my faith that I would learn to trust you more and more and more? Father God, it's so easy for us to be afraid. Fear just seems to come very naturally for us. And Father, I know the people that usually are the most fearful are the ones that say they're not afraid. God, we don't want to do what comes natural. We want to do what pleases you. Grow our faith, Father. Strengthen our faith. Help us, God, to quit looking at the storm and to keep looking at you. To keep trusting you. To keep following you. 
Father, I want to pray this morning for Bob. I thank you, God, that he's recovering so well. And I just pray, God, that he, he wouldn't have any, uh, any kind of complications or setbacks, but that he'd get to go home this week. Continue to pray for Roy, Father, that you would heal him in every way, Father. Father, pray for Debbie as she's arranging her surgery. Pray for me, Father, going to the neurologist in Tampa this week. Father, we just ask you to be with us through these storms. In Jesus' name, amen.